Hi everyone, my name is Alex DeRosa and I'm the Family Life Pastor here at New Life. I'm really excited to be able to share with you what God has put on my heart pertaining the book of Galatians. All summer long, we're going through this letter that a guy named Paul wrote to the church in Galatia and we're calling the series Galatians, Freedom and Fruit. We're calling it that because what Paul was talking about in the letter was how to find true freedom in this life. Also, he's talking about how to have lives that produce good fruit that bring about God's redemption in the world around us. Pastor Chris kicked us off, and he did a great job last week talking about the very first portion of this letter, the first chapter of Galatians. And he talked about how the letter wasn't really just written by Paul, although Paul's name was on it. It was a collaborative effort from brothers and sisters in the faith. And I loved what he said last week, and I wanted to share it with you again. He said, Paul was not a lone ranger. Everywhere he went, Paul preached the good news of Jesus' salvation. When people responded, he planted churches, always discipling and mentoring leaders. Some of these leaders remained in the new churches, while others traveled with him. Some of these brothers and sisters had joined in sending this letter. It wasn't a solo effort. This is amazing. This is really how God designed the church to operate. Somewhere along the lines of the last couple thousands of years, our mentality has shifted in the church to this idea of one person doing the work of the ministry and everyone else kind of being observers. But this isn't the way that God wanted it to be. And it's really the way that over the last several years, the church, the big C church, all the the, the collaborative effort of Christians everywhere has been pushing to this mentality of every person in ministry. Even a book that I read recently phrased it this way, Every member ministry, where everyone was supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Pastor Mark talked about it just a couple weeks ago, about how we're all called to be missionaries wherever we live, work, and play. And the goal is for all of us to tell people about Jesus. And it's really cool to see this lived out. I mean, the truth of the matter is, and and Paul is going to reference this in just a little bit, But what really changes the lives of people, what really draws people into Jesus, more oftentimes than not, isn't a sermon, or isn't a book, or isn't a certain class about Christianity, but really it's interactions and conversations that happen around the lunch table, or at work, or in between basketball games. It's this relationship that is based on on showing the love of Jesus that's going to transform people's lives. It's how I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. When I was in high school, I was going to a youth group, and I was not a good student in the youth group. I was as rebellious as I could be because I didn't believe in what this stuff the pastor was talking about. didn't care about it. I wasn't willing to give my life over to Jesus. I wasn't even willing to acknowledge that he existed. And so I showed up for the pizza and just to joke around. I remember years later, my youth pastor would tell me, literally, as I walked down the steps down to the basement of the church, he just had this image of his head of just kicking me down the stairs. And I'm glad he didn't do that because eventually my life did change. But it changed because I started to see the friends that I made at youth group and their lives alter, dramatically change. I mean, I was a high school boy doing stupid stuff with dumb high school boy friends. We were all idiots. And so as I started to see my idiot friends change in good ways for God's glory, I took notice. Remember my buddy, Nate Berger, his life dramatically took some shifts. And I thought, wait, okay, something's happening here. That's not normally you. What is going on? And the answer is Jesus. I even remember one time I was at a lunch table and my friend Sean, who my friend Sean is a funny guy, uh, but he had a pretty foul mouth. And I remember someone at the table used God's name in vain. And distinctly, I remember my buddy Sean chewing this kid out and probably said some words he shouldn't have. And he chewed him out because he was like, you can't say my God's name in vain. That name means too much. 
And I remember walking away being like, well, that was maybe not the best way to, to say that message, but he really believes this. Like, this is something that has changed his heart. And so I eventually said, okay, God, if you can change my friends, my idiot friends, you can change me, the idiot that I am. You, could, you can change my life if you change other people's. And he did. And so I gave my life over to Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord meaning owner, Savior meaning rescuer from sin and death. And it was because I saw Jesus and those that I was encountering. And at the time, I didn't really know how to put this into words, but what I was seeing was people that were dead in sin become new creation, become living people. And now I can kind of maybe put into better words, and what I was really witnessing was this. When dead bones become living vessels for the Holy Spirit, it makes people stand up and notice. When people who are dead to sin accept Jesus and are living a new life, it is apparent to everyone. And the reason behind that is because when people's lives change, it changes other people. Changed lives change lives. Kind of can sound confusing, but literally, changed lives change lives. And so when, when someone notices Jesus in you and how he's changed your life, people are going to stand up and notice it's, it's how we're wired to work because we're drawn to this idea of Jesus. And we're drawn to this idea of freedom, and true freedom is only offered through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about in his letter. So Paul is, is communicating with the church in Galatia, and he starts to talk about his old self. Now, Paul, before he was named Paul, was actually named Saul. And something happened, and we're going to get into it, that made him change so he could even take on a new identity in everyone's minds, and he addresses it right here. So let's read Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel preaching I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal a son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. What we see here was that Paul was telling everyone that he was this religious zealot. He was this Jewish leader who obeyed as much of the law as anyone could. And he got to this point where he hated the idea of Jesus. People in, in the Jewish faith were turning to Jesus and becoming Christians. And as that happened, Paul fought them tooth and nail. He violently persecuted the church. 
He violently went after people that were believed in Jesus and wanted to squash the movement of the Holy Spirit, the movement of Jesus. So much so that there was even this encounter in the book of Acts where this young man named Stephen was stoned. This guy Stephen was, was raised to leadership at a church and he was literally just sharing his testimony. He was sharing about how Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. He walked it all the way through the Old Testament and said Jesus was foretold and he is our savior. And what happened was they took Stephen and they killed him. And in that passage, Paul talks about how, or it talks about how Paul, who was previously Saul, was there and he agreed with it. And then later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, and I love how the Holman Christian Standard Bible phrases it, translates it. It says this, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. If you've ever thought in your life, man, I'm too evil, I'm too corrupt, I'm too ill-equipped to show Jesus to people, to minister to my friends, to be a part of this every member ministry movement, look at Paul, this man that no one would have predicted was going to go on to do what he did, which was to go on to write half of the New Testament. He did this not because he was amazing in himself. He did this simply because he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus, his life changed, and he decided to give over his life to Jesus. And what happened was he became a new person. He gave over ownership. He asked for forgiveness, and Jesus forgave him for all the persecution, all the evil things he had done. He was fighting against the church of God, and still he was forgiven, and he was made into a new person. And this takes us to our take-home point. And so one point that this, I believe this section of the letter is all about and what we're going to be talking about today. And it's this, when God enters our lives, we are a new creation. We see that in the life of Paul. And he even personified that by changing his name. In that letter, it talks about how when Paul met Jesus, he spent three years in solitude learning from God. And then he went and talked to Peter. Peter was a guy that traveled with Jesus. And it's cool because Peter's life changed dramatically as well. One day we see Peter and he's fishing. And he's a fisherman. He's probably, in the Jewish tradition, someone that failed out. He wanted to be a rabbi. Most of the Jewish kids were trained to be a rabbi and only the best of the best made it. So Peter, at this point, probably failed out of that and instead was fishing, which is great. He's was, he was a fisherman and, and he's fishing for fish. And then one day he sees Jesus walking along the shore and Jesus says, hey, why don't you come follow me? And instead of being a fisherman for the rest of his life, he went from being a fisherman one day to being a fisher of men the next day. And his life changed because again, he saw Jesus. And then what happened was a couple years go by and when Jesus was arrested and he was beaten and he was put on trial, Peter would deny Jesus. He would he would be asked, are you a follower of Jesus? And over and over and over, he would deny it. But then what happened? He asked for forgiveness and Jesus gave the forgiveness to him. And then God used Peter to start the church. So again, if you're thinking, I can't do this, you're wrong because Jesus can do this through you. Because when people see Jesus, their lives change and Jesus can be revealed through us. When we experience the love of Jesus, we can't help but change. And when we continue in this relationship with Jesus, he's going to continue to change us. 
I look at my life, and, and I had a couple dramatic times of change. One of them when I was younger, and I gave my life to Jesus. And another one was actually when I started dating Rachel, at the time Martin, and now Rachel DeRosa. I remember it was like our third or fourth date. We were at Olive Garden because I'm romantic, and I, uh, and I like endless breadsticks. And we were there talking, and I remember I was drinking coffee, and we were just kind of, you know, going back and forth. And I was trying to impress her, as you do on one of your first dates. And I was trying to implore to her how funny I was. And so I was telling her stories of me saying funny things in the past, which is, I think, a dumb effort. And I was telling her a story about Dungeons Dragons, I remember, but how I was funny in the game to my friends. I mean, that's like the worst way. I don't know how she ended up marrying me, but she did, and I'm lucky for it. But I remember talking about the story, and she asked me a question, and it was in a very sweet way. But she, she noticed something I was saying and how I was making jokes. And I was, I was saying, like, yeah, to my friends, I, I kind of use these swear words or whatever like that to, to make this joke funnier. And she was like, wait, hold on, hold on. Um, do you sometimes tell your students, because I was a youth pastor at the time, to live one way, and then whenever you're away from them, you live a different way? And I remember... <laughs> Like, kind of being taken aback. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, how do I change the subject? Where is this waiter at? What do I do to kind of just, like, go past this? Do I, like, lean into the joke? Do I answer seriously? And I just was like, uh-huh, yes, I, I do that sometimes. And she's like, well, you probably shouldn't. You probably should live into, like, really who God created you to be. And I remember I was thinking in my head, like, all these things of, like, how do I retort that? But eventually, what what ended up going on in my head, it came out of my mouth, and I just said, you're right. You're right. Like, I was using this, this little, um, in my mind, uh, this little sin to kind of change the way that I live sometimes. And what it was revealing is my life wasn't completely given over to Jesus. And in this moment, it wasn't just that I wanted to impress the girl that I eventually wanted to marry. It was that I saw Jesus through Rachel, that she was reminding me of the love relationship that I had with Jesus. In that moment, as we communicated, I got to experience how Jesus was just calling me back into this relationship with him. And so I decided to change. I decided to, to give up that part of my life where I would, yeah, be one way in front of the students and then another way in front of my friends where I was using language to, to make jokes, which at the end of the day, honestly, like if you're telling jokes and the only way to get laughs is by inserting swear words, you're not funny. It's just, it's not that funny anyway. So I had to like rethink, like how do you, how do you tell jokes and stuff? But all that to say, I was giving control from myself back to Jesus and saying, hey, you know what? My language, my mouth, whatever, it's yours. And then it's changed and entered into other avenues of my life with what I looked at, who I talked, what I watched, and, and how I shared stories with my friends, how I talked about girls with my friends. All that stuff started to change because I was drawn back into this love relationship with Jesus. You see, when Peter saw Jesus as Jesus was walking on the shore, his life changed when Paul saw Jesus, when he, he was on this road one day and Jesus appeared to himself and he was blinded by this light, Paul's life changed. When I saw Jesus through my friends and then later on through my soon-to-be girlfriend, my life changed as well. You see, when people see Jesus in us, lives change. When people experience Jesus through our relationship with them, they can't help but change because we, again, are drawn into who Jesus is because that's who we were created to be. It's this new life. 
Paul would talk about this to a church in Corinth. He was writing another letter because that's what Paul ended up doing. He would go around to these different villages or towns. He would start churches. He would equip people to to do the work of the church and then he would leave and go do it again. And eventually he would write letters to check in and and to help them learn. And in this church in Corinth, he would talk about this this new life. He, He said this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Again, if you're in here, you're watching right now, wherever you are, and you're saying, I can't do this. Like, I can't change my family, my friends, my coworkers, my team, because I'm not enough. Again, I want to draw you back to this idea that Jesus is enough. And if he can use Paul and Peter in this mighty way, he can use us as well. And what it says in here is he's called us to be his ambassadors, to portray who he is to the world. It says God is making his appeal through us. And it's cool because as we look at Paul, what he says in this message was that God had prepared him to do this, that God had this plan for Paul set up, even while Paul was living a life that wasn't of God. He says this in in verse 15 of what we read from the, the letter to Galatia. It says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And part of that was simply showing the world who God is through the transformation that happened in Paul's heart in his life. At the very end of the letter we read today, it says, all they knew, all they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. They just saw the life change and they were changed as well. And they praised God. So what do we do? How do we kind of take everything that we've learned and put it into action? Well, luckily for us, C.S. Lewis, who's a very smart man, wrote about this in his book, Mere Christianity. He also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which are really good as well. But in Mere Christianity, he would simplify it and say this. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. So, If we're going to all be ministers, if we're going to be ambassadors, if we're going to be a part of this every member ministry, if we are going to change our family members, our coworkers, our teammates, anyone that we come encounter with, we must think about this idea of becoming a little Christ and being like Jesus so that people see him and not us. I love this book called Experiencing God. It's written by Henry Blackaby because he talks about really the first step to becoming a little Christ. He talks about how first we got to see Jesus. I mean, again, that's what happened with Paul. It's what happened with Peter. It's what happened in my life. I saw Jesus through people. We got to see and seek after the face of Jesus to be like Jesus. Henry Blackaby would say it this way. Many people long for God to do a significant work in their life. We want to do something important. We want to do something significant. However, they try to bypass the love relationship. The love relationship is why God created you. That is far more important than what you do for him. You see, when I was talking to Rachel when we were on that date, 
I had a relationship with her. It was a new one, but it was enough of one that I wanted to listen to her. When she gave me this advice, when she was pointing me to Jesus, I wanted to listen to her because I felt like she wasn't against me, that she was for me. And so the longer we spend with Jesus, the more time we, we give over to this love relationship, when he starts to transform us, it's going to not be, hey, why are you changing my life? It's going to be saying, I you're not for me. You're, you are for me. You're not against me. So I want to lean into this love relationship. So we must be into this relationship with Jesus. And what happens when we do that, when we get to know him more and more and more, we start to become like him. And one of the most important aspects of Jesus is he had no sin in our life. So if we're gonna look like Jesus, we have to get the sin out of our lives. Because here's the truth. We'll never look like Jesus if we're apathetic to the sin in our lives we really want people to see Jesus through us, if we want to transform the communities that we live in, our friendships, our family members, we must not be apathetic to the sin in our lives. If we're going to look like Jesus, we've got to look like Jesus. We've got to take that stuff out of it so that's, that we can be the new creation God has created us to be. Paul talks about this in a letter to the church in Rome. Now, I feel like this carries extra weight because Paul did this. He transformed his life. God really transformed his life. He gave it over and he started to look more like Jesus. And he gives us some practical steps. He talks about how our old lives are crucified with Jesus on the cross. And if we give our lives to Jesus, our old self is dead. And now we have this new life. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gave us this new life. And we rise from the dead as a new creation. He would say it this way. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Freedom, free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. This, this series, again, is about freedom. And if we want true freedom, we can't be controlled by sin. We can't be under the thumb of sin. We can't allow that to dictate what we do in our lives. We must be under the control of Jesus. And so what do we do? We got to look and examine our lives. We got to focus so much on Jesus so that it becomes apparent that where the sin is. And then what do we do? We got to go to war against that sin. We can't just live in this, this realm of saying like, oh yeah, it's just sin. We're all sinners, okay? Like we're all going to fall. It's all going to sin. We're just, we make excuses and say, oh, it's not that bad. That's sin. It's not, is it really sin? Is it really harming anyone? Not big a deal. Because the more and more we do that, the more we're living into our dead old selves. It's kind of like a couple years ago, I went to the dentist because I had this tooth pain. And this tooth pain, I went to a couple of dentists and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And eventually one day I was eating a dessert and I felt something pretty hard in my mouth and I realized, oh, I was half of my tooth. My tooth fell out and I freaked out. I don't know what was going on. I called my wife, I was like, what's going on? And, and so I eventually went to the dentist and they said, oh, there was a, a crack in the tooth and something seeped into there and it killed the root, killed the tooth completely. It's dead. And we need to remove it because if we don't, it's going to hurt the rest of your mouth. It's going to spread and it's going to eventually affect the rest of your body. So we got to get that dead thing out of there and so that the rest of it doesn't get hurt by this decay. 
And the same thing is true with sin in our lives. It might seem like it's a small thing, but it is of our dead selves. It's of our old selves. And if we allow it to contaminate our bodies, it's going to just change us. It's going to continue to seep into us and cause decay to show forth instead of life. So what do we do? We go to war against our old selves to remove all the junk that isn't of God so people see Jesus and not us. We allow Jesus to chisel away at everything that is not of him. We enter this love relationship with Jesus so much so that we say, hey, whatever you want to take away, you take away. You're in control. You are Lord. So whatever it is, you know what we do? We, we go to war against it. And that might look differently for everyone else. It might look like, hey, I'm going to go to cel- celebrate recovery at New Life on Thursday nights. And you can do that. You can sign up for that right now, newlifexn.org slash groups. You can sign up at, to any of our small groups that are on there at any time during, during the year. If you see a small group there, message them. They'll, they'll tell you about the time and all that good stuff. And celebrate recovery is for people that are going through addictions in their life or going through a sin struggle, whatever it looks like. And they go and they face the hard facts, the hard truths, and they start to change their lives. It might be, if you're a student here, going to New Life Students. You might say, I don't really need that. But if you want to look like Jesus, Get into a small group. Allow small group leaders to, to mentor you and walk you through what it looks like to look like Jesus. Rally with your, your brothers and sisters in faith to do that. If you're having a hard time in your marriage, you've got to get some sin out of there. You, you sign up for a marriage mentor and you say, hey, I want to walk through this with someone that, that knows how to point me to Jesus to get the sin out of my life. I don't want it to have any control over my life, whatever it is. We have a plethora of different ministries, but ultimately it's going to God. It's saying, hey, show me how to take this out. Let's go to war against our sin so we look like Jesus, so we seek his face. We go to war against the sin. And finally, we partner with what God is doing on this earth. Henry Blackaby would talk about this again in his book, Experiencing God. He would talk about if we really want to be ambassadors for Jesus, if we really want to be a part of this every member movement, if we want our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers to see the change that has happened in our lives, to see Jesus through us, here are some helpful practical steps to doing that. The first step is this. We start by praying. Now, not praying just for anything. You can pray for anything, but specifically in this, if we want to, to change our neighbors and our, our coworkers, we pray for them. We say, God, allow me to have a conversation. Open up a window of opportunity where I can speak into my, my son's life, into my sister's life, into my, my parents' life, into whoever it is, my coworkers' life. And you continue to pray for the spheres of influence that you are in. You bring it up. So pray, pray, pray for them that, that God would open up these opportunities for people to come and talk to you for you to be able to leverage your relationship for the kingdom of God. So you start by praying. The second thing is you make the connection. You watch and you, you, you actively look to see when someone invites you over or someone invites you out for a drink or for a meal or someone spills their hard day with you or spills a, a struggle that they have at home, you make the connection. Wait, is this that window of opportunity that God is opening for me? All right, let's get ready. Let's go. And you continue to pray through that. So you make the connection. And if we're not on the lookout, we might miss what God is doing. God might answer our prayer, but we might miss it because we're not making that connection. So we start by praying. We make the connection. And then third from Henry Blackaby is ask questions. So we ask questions. So we don't just talk about trivial matters, but we ask real questions. How is your life going? How is your marriage? How are your kids doing? How, how is work going for you? We ask these questions to learn about people. 
So we can honestly know what is happening in their lives. So we can get to know them and we can really care for them. So we ask questions. We get real with people. We offer up things about our lives too, but we ask questions. We don't just talk about trivial things. Oh, that's easier, right? I love doing that. I like just talking about the interests that I have, but we ask questions about real things. And fourth is this, listen attentively. It can be easy to not listen during a conversation. You can be talking to someone and the whole time be thinking about what you want to say. I do that all the time. And it's awful. It's not a good thing. I, there's times where my wife will catch me on it too. She'll be talking to me about something that went on during the day. And then as soon as she's done talking, I say, hey, there's this new board game. Can I buy it? And she'll be like, what? You didn't hear what I said. You were just talking, thinking about that board game the whole time. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. What did you say? And then I have to ask her to repeat herself. That's so rude. Let's not do that. Let's instead listen attentively. Because when we listen to people's answers to real questions, they reveal how God is working in their lives or how God is at work or how God's opening windows of opportunity for us to answer. And then the last one is this, be prepared to respond. Prepared to respond to what the need is or how God is, is allowing us to have influence in their lives. So that could be something that's saying, oh, wow, your marriage is, is having a hard time. Well, one, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you right now. Like, let's pray in this conversation right now. Not like, hey, I'll pray for you later. And then you walk around. Like, literally pray for that person right then and there. Call in the name of Jesus in front of them. It makes a humongous difference. But then you could say, hey, your marriage is having a hard time. Let's have you sign up for a marriage mentor. New Life has these, and they're awesome, and there's going to be a couple that is going to walk through whatever's going on in your life. If someone's talking about their kid that's having a hard time, you can push them into New Life students and tell them about that. So be ready to respond, but ultimately be ready to tell them about how Jesus has transformed your life. Because the story that you have is an, an, an impossibly unique story that could change lives. So be prepared to do that. In fact, be ready to share what Jesus has done in your life that has led you to peace, joy, and a new life in Jesus, how you become a new creation. Talk about the things you did before and how God has walked you through that. And the more we spend with Jesus, the more we spend going to war against that sin, the more we spend actively praying and looking for where God is moving around us and we partner with him, the more we're going to be able to share these stories with people. We're going to be able to transform the spheres of influence that we are in. And God's glory is going to come to earth. And the kingdom of heaven will start to appear. And people, will, their lives will change. And they will give their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it will be because not just a pastor might do a good job, but it's because we are the church collectively. And we are out there and we are serving God and being his hands and feet everywhere we go. And you are equipped to do that because if you've given your life to Jesus, Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you and Jesus dwells in you because of the Holy Spirit. You might be sitting thinking, I, I could maybe do this with the Holy Spirit, but Alex, you don't understand. The world we live in is just this broken place. Like, I'm, I'm on board with this, but have you seen the world today? It is, it is kind of terrible out there. Like, it's full of darkness and sin. Well, here, I want to encourage you with something that might not sound encouraging right away, but follow it through with me. Paul, when he was talking to this church in Corinth, he was talking to the Corinthian people. Now, the Corinthian people were known in history as people that lived in the prostitution and homosexuality and all other sexual deviant activities, so much so that they would worship gods, fake gods, through sleeping with people that worked at those temples. This is the church he wrote to. There was even a phrase that happened in the old world where if you wanted to kind of demean a woman, you would call her a Corinthian woman because that was the, the phrasing of the day. And 
What did Paul do? He didn't say, okay, let's skip Corinth. Like, let's do the churches around the area. He said, let's go in the heart of Corinth. Why? Because when people start to see Jesus, it's going to be more apparent when the world's dark because his light is going to shine even more easily when things are dark. People want that hope. They want to live in freedom. And even in the world that Paul was living in, still people's lives changed because they saw how Jesus changed Paul's life. And the same thing can happen in our world today. If we are living for Jesus, if we're seeking his face, if we're going to war against sin, if we're partnering for what he's doing on this earth, it's going to be noticeable. People are going to see it. And when people see Jesus through us, through the acts of love that we share, through who he is, lives will change. So what do we do? This week, I think we can start living into this with our next step. This is as as practical as we can get. There is those three steps, seeking his face, there's going to war against his sin, and there's partnering with God. But we can do that with this next step. And it says, I will give up a habit of my old life to live as a new creation. So what do you need God to chisel away of your old life? What is that part of decay that you're allowing to still exist in your life? Whatever it is, we got to go to war against it. We got to get it out of our lives so we can look like Jesus, so people see Jesus through us. If you're in here today and you're saying, well, I'm not a new creation yet. I have never accepted Jesus as Lord, meaning owner, and Savior, meaning rescuer from sin and death. We say here at New Life, it's as easy as A, B and C. A, meaning admit. So we just admit, hey, I'm not perfect. I am a sinner. I have flaws, okay? We can, we can collectively admit that together. We fall short. So we admit that we are a sinner and that we need a Savior to rescue us from sin and death. And then B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is the one true way to heaven, that he is the Son of God, that God is the one true God. And we believe in him as Lord and Savior. And three, finally, we confess confess our sins. We confess that we are a sinner and we say, please forgive me for these sins. And then we confess our need for an owner and a savior. And when we do that, we become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And people will be able to see Jesus through us. So right now, we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you right now to do that. Stop living in the old life. Live the new creation that you were destined to be. And God has a plan for you to do marvelous things. Let us live into that right now. So we're going to pray. And I want to encourage you, if you do know Jesus, Lord and Savior, and I'm praying right now, don't just turn this off and say, all right, service is over. Start praying right now for people that are hearing this that don't know Jesus to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, and again, if you have never accepted Jesus, would you please pray this prayer along with me in your heart and your mind? And hey, with your mouth, if you, if you are feel comfortable doing that. So let's pray. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner. But Lord, I want you to be my Lord and owner. Please forgive me of my sin and become my owner today. Make me a new creation and help the world see you through my life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I was reading this book called Rise. I say recently, I mean like three or four years ago, but still pretty recent. I read this book called Rise. It was written by a guy named Trip Lee. And he talks about this idea of when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, we make all of these excuses to hit snooze. And at the time, they seem pretty rational. I need an extra three minutes or five minutes, or it's not really important for me to be on time. Or I can just speed and get there fast enough for a shower. Who needs one of those again? I can just, just sleep through that and then get up breakfast. Not that important. And then finally, when we do get up, we're like, 
what was I thinking? Like, those things don't make sense. That extra five minutes doesn't really make that much of a difference. And he says, so when we live our lives, we got to have that same mentality because someday we're going to get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, we're going to stand in front of Jesus and he's going to ask us, did you rise up? Did you rise up and live for me? Or did you make excuses that now seem trivial? There's plenty of excuses we can make to not live like Jesus is calling us to live. There's a lot of excuses not to show our friends and our family Jesus, but none of them are going to matter someday when we stand in front of Jesus. So let us live like him. Let us seek his face. Let's go to war against sin and let us partner with what he's doing on this earth. And as we do it, lives will change. Thank you so much for tuning in to to New Life Online. Next week, we're going to continue the series. We're going to keep walking through the book of Galatians. And I just can't wait to see what God is doing through this series and how he's going to move and change our communities. Thank you so much.